Welcome to the partial recap for the 410s BCE. I'm Dr. G. And I'm Dr. Rat. And this is our highlights edition of the 410s in Rome. We'll take you through from 419 to 410 in an epitome of our regular episodes. It's perfect for those mornings when you don't want some lengthy rhetoric with your coffee. But please be warned, the Roman world is a violent one. Let's get ready for a recappuccino. 419 BCE. In 419 BCE, the military tribunes with consular power were Agrippa Menenius Lonatus, Publius Lucretius Hosti Tricipitinus, Spurius Nautius Rutilus, and Gaius Servilius Axilla. This was a year of high drama, mama. Some of the slaves in Rome decided to stage a pretty audacious uprising, setting fires all over the city and then taking control of the capital whilst everyone else was just a little distracted. Naturally, Rome's best bud, Jupiter, made sure their plot failed. In other words, some of the slaves turned informer and were rewarded with their freedom and a healthy bonus. As for the rest of the slaves, they were simply showered with attention of the sharp and pointy kind. It's a sad tale that does not end well. The Aquians and the Labici started rumbling in the distance this year. There was no major military action, but the Romans had their eyes peeled. Four eighteen BCE. In four eighteen, the military tribunes with consular power were Lucius Sergius Fidinus. Marcus Papirius Mugulanus and Gaius Servilius Axilla. Ambassadors from Tusculum arrived in Rome in this year with very expected news. The Labicani were ready for war. They were so ready, they had already teamed up with the Aquians and started attacking areas in the countryside. The Romans did not need to hear any more. It was time for war! The Senate dispatched two of the military tribunes to campaign, whilst one would remain in the city. The military tribunes immediately started slappy fighting over who got to command the armies. Quintus Servilius, the dictator who had captured the slippery city of Fidine and father of one of the military tribunes, had to step in and send them all to their rooms while he sorted out the mess. Servilius placed his son in charge of Rome, and packed off the other military tribunes with a hefty smack around the ears and some stern marching orders. You've bragged an awful lot about yourselves, so you better work. Almost as though the Romans knew something was going to go wrong. Only ten tribes were levied. And it was just as well, because the military tribunes started swinging their swords around before they had even left the city. They could not agree on anything. The struggle was real. Things were so out of control that their lieutenants had to insist that the military tribunes held supreme command on alternate days. Now, none of Rome's walls happened very far away, so word of this made its way back to the city. Quintus Servilius told his son to get ready. Disaster was on the horizon. Sure enough, 
Sergius ended up falling for the Meryl Streep performance given by the Aquians in an engagement, and many of his men were slaughtered. The following day, the Roman camp was almost entirely surrounded, and they had to abandon ship. Oh, the shame. The leaders managed to grab their standards on the way out and headed for their most adorable allies, the Tusculans. With the rest of the Roman forces scattered as they fled, confusing reports reached Rome. The general impression was, world apocalypse. Thanks to the wise leadership of Daddy and Sonny Servilius, the rest of the tribes were levied and readied. Sonny Servilius scouts tracked down the surviving soldiers at Tusculum, and it was a real morale booster to see that they were, you know, alive. The Romans felt a little more positive, but they knew they weren't out of danger yet. Just to be safe, Daddy Servilius was made dictator. Servilius Sr. chose Junior to serve as his master of the horse. Or perhaps he chose Mr. Servilius Armpit? Ahala? The Servilii trotted off into the fray, and wouldn't you know it, the Aquans were so overly confident about winning that Oscar in the previous battle that they started to get sloppy. In the very first engagement, Servilius Sr. caused major disruption amongst the Aquian forces. Just to prove that he was the most serious Servilii in the camp, Servilius Sr. killed a standard bearer who hesitated when he ordered his troops to advance quickly. There's no time for thinking. Just act now. Move, move, move. The Romans were feeling his energy and went full berserker. The Aquian defense collapsed, and this time they were the ones running back to their camp in total disarray. The Romans seized their camp and snatched that booty. Perhaps feeling like he could relax a tad, Servilius Sr. allowed the soldiers to share the spoils. The Romans had won the battle, but what about the war? The Aquians had retreated to Labici to hide with our allies, and the Romans soon showed up with a cake and some ladders. Labici was pillaged, allowing Servilius Sr. to lead his forces back to Rome, where he laid down his powers after eight days of exhilarating action. What a thrill ride! The Senate was pleased, but they also knew that they needed to be on their guard. Those tribune of the plebs would want to get their greedy paws on that new land that had been conquered. A quick decree was passed and a colony of 1500 was set up in Labici. Four seventeen and four sixteen BCE. In four seventeen BCE, the military tribunes with consular power were Publius Lucretius Hosti Tricipitinus, Agrippa Menenius Lenatus, Caius Servilius Axilla Ostruptus, Spurius Rutilius Crassus, or Spurius Veturius Crassus Cicurinus. And in four sixteen BCE, the military tribunes with consular power were Aulus Sempronius Atratinus, Marcus Papirius Mugulanus, Quintus Fabius Vibulanus, Spurius Nautius Rutilus. The events of these years blend together a bit, so be prepared for a double act. As predicted, some tribunes of the plebs started making the most unreasonable of demands about land. Spurius Mycilius and Marcus Matilius wanted a law that would divide captured land up amongst Roman citizens. 
Does this make any sense at this point in time? Probably not, but it's classic conflict of the order stuff. The plebs just not getting their fair share, concerns over land allotment, greedy patricians. Just lean into the narrative and try to ignore those gaping holes in the story. The military tribunes with consular power started chatting with the senators and other elite dudes. Clearly, this was time for an evil plan. <laughs> Happiest Claudius, descendant of the infamous Decimver, came forth to uphold his family legacy of douchebaggery. He suggested that they should keep it simple, stupid. Just divide and conquer. Convince the other tribunes of the plebs to use their veto against their colleagues in exchange for patrician favour. The snaky senators successfully won the wallflower tribunes of the plebs over, and sure enough, the law was vetoed. All Michaelius and Matilius could do was call them class traitors and throw a huge hissy fit in front of the assembly. Four fifteen BCE. In four fifteen, the military tribunes with consular power were Publius Cornelius Cossus, Gaius Valerius Volusi Petitus Volusus, Numerius or Marcus Fabius Vibulanus, and Quintus Quintius Cincinnatus. Conflict was brewing with Vey and the Aquians, but then both of them postponed the warfare for another day. The people of Vey were scared away from a fight due to the flooding of the Tiber River, which ruined some of their farms. The Aquians were still smarting from a previous defeat when they had been defending the Balani, an Aquian tribe. The Balani seemed to have provoked battle by attacking the Labici and the new Roman colony, but hadn't managed to secure a victory. Lucius Decius, a tribune of the plebs, tried to push through an agrarian law that would send colonists to Bole as well as Labici, but his fellow tribunes would not agree to a plebiscite without the Senate giving their okay. Bole would not be in Roman hands for long, so perhaps it was for the best. Four fourteen BCE. In 414 BCE, the military tribunes with consular power were Gnaeus Cornelius Cossus, Lucius Valerius Petitus, Quintus Fabius Vibulanus, and Publius Posthumius Albinus Regulensis. Posthumius was placed in charge of a campaign against the Aquians, and he enjoyed a lot of success. His troops seized Bole and beat the Aquians without too much effort, really. Unfortunately, Posthumius continued the family tradition of stuffing up royally. There was some confusion over exactly where it all went wrong, but it definitely had something to do with the war booty from the captured city. Whether Posthumius broke a promise about their share, or there was not enough in the city to please the army, the soldiers were spurious furious about the lack of goods. Before the situation was resolved, Posthumius was summoned back to Rome to deal with an uppity tribune of the plebs, the seductively named Marcus Sextius. Sextius was pursuing Decius's dream of colonists in Bole. Give the land to those who bled for it. Posthumius could not help but make a nasty comment upon hearing about Sextius's agrarian law. He essentially made a threat about those who fought under his command. The Plebeian Assembly and the Senate were seriously perturbed when they heard what had been said. 
their sublicolums were definitely in a twist. Marcus Sextius made sure to bait Posthumius. How dare he threaten his brave men? How dare he even suggest that they be punished like mere slaves? And BTW, how are patrician twats still getting elected to the highest office when this is how they treat the people? Hashtag plebeian military tribune for office. However, the group that were the most upset were the army back at Bolay. The quaestor, Publius Sextius, or Cestius, picked up on the mutinous energy and decided that the situation called for a violent solution. He used a lictor to arrest a brawling soldier and surprise, surprise, that only inflamed matters. In a subsequent riot, the quaestor was either seriously injured or killed by a stone to the noggin. Posthumius had to return to Bolay to sort matters out. He came with the trademark harshness of his gens and tried to execute some of the ringleaders in a particularly painful way. The cries of the condemned caught the attention of a crowd, and when Posthumius and his forces tried to get the angry people under control, they turned on him, stoning him to death. With one of the leading magistrates murdered in broad daylight, his colleagues quickly set up a senatorial inquiry into his death, but had to hit the brakes when the plebeian tribunes used their veto power. Terrified that the plebeians were angry enough to elect one of their own as military tribune in 413 BCE, the Senate tried to run consular elections. Once more, the plebeian tribunes blocked their plans, and an interregnum ensued. Four thirteen BCE, the Interrex was Quintus Fabius Fibulanus, who organised the elections, and so in four thirteen the consuls were Aulus Cornelius Cossus and Lucius Furius Medulinus. A senatorial resolution was passed to investigate the death of Postumius. Given how popular Postumius was the investigators wisely only punished a few for their role in his murder, and most of them seemed to have been allowed to commit suicide. The plebs were not appeased. A lack of punishment cannot make up for a lack of agrarian reform, people. Leaving the sulky atmosphere in Rome, the Volscians attacked Hernutian territory, and the consul Furious was dispatched to slap them back across the border. The Volscians were nowhere to be found when Furious arrived, so instead he captured Ferentinum, just to annoy them. There was a real lack of booty in the town, leading to a rather anticlimactic conquest that the Romans casually turned over to the Hanusians. Four twelve BCE. In 412 BCE, the consuls were Quintus Fabius Ambustus Fibulanus and Gaius Furius Pasillus. The real star of the year was one of the tribunes of the plebs, Lucius Aichilius. You might recall this family as they have a history of being plebeian heroes. Aichilius tried to revive the old agrarian laws, but he did not get far as a pestilence hit Rome. The population of Rome was not decimated, but they were certainly way too sick to be worrying about politics. 411 BCE 
In 411, the consuls were Marcus Papirius Atratinus and Gaius Nautius Rutulus. After the outbreak in 412, Rome was in danger of a famine. While some people were a little tight-fisted in this time of need, <coughs> ah, Samnites, others made sure that the Romans were well supplied. BCE. In 410 BCE, the consuls were Marcus Aemilius Mamacinus and Gaius Valerius Petitus Volusus. The Aquians were gearing up for another bout with the Romans, and the Volscians were happy to sign up as their auxiliaries. When they started attacking Latin and Hernetian territory, the consul Valerius started conducting the levy. In swept the tribune of the plebs, Marcus Menenius. Seizing his moment, Menenius refused to let the levy proceed without an agrarian law first. Whilst the Romans squabbled, the citadel of Carventum was captured by the Aquians. The patricians tried to use this loss to turn the people against Menenius. Playing on their divide-and-conquer tactic from earlier, the patricians had already managed to talk the rest of the tribunes into siding against Menenius, and his refusal to allow the levy after this loss provided them with an airtight excuse for this bizarre stance. A Mexican standoff ensued, with neither side willing to back down and a lot of hysterical posturing. The rest of the tribunes decided to take a very dramatic step publicly supporting Valerius' right to use force and fines to get people to enlist in the army. With this authority in hand, men who were refusing to enlist were dragged in front of the consul. This example was enough to scare almost everyone into signing up. The Roman army was now able to march off to the citadel of Carventum. It wasn't the happiest of unions between commander and troops, but the Romans got the job done. The enemy was routed. Valerius was not about to give the army the meagre spoils after the trouble they had caused, so the quaestors were put in charge of auctioning off the goods. This endearing act meant that Valerius was showered with abuse during his ovatio back in the city, whilst Menenius was showered with praise. With all of these anti-patrician vibes in the air, the elites were looking around nervously and organising consular elections for the next year. Whilst our sources are clearly pushing the conflict between the orders, the Romans seem to be taking on a more aggressive policy of expansion in this decade. Makes you wonder what lies ahead. And that was the Four Tens in Ancient Rome. Or was it? Remember that this has just been a highlights from the ancient sources. So if you want to delve into the complexities of the different evidence from this period, please check out our narrative episodes. Jump in at episode 140, The Commonwealth of Slaves, to join us for a deep dive into the 410s BCE. And thanks for tuning in to this partial recap. <laughs>